Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. This is the 63rd episode of the podcast, so thank you again for listening, for subscribing, and an extra special thank you if you have left a rating and a review on iTunes. I know that writing a little review takes a few minutes, but tapping that five stars right on the show page on the iTunes podcast, it uh, it's pretty simple. It is just one step more than listening to a podcast. So if you've done that already, thank you so much. I appreciate it. If you haven't done that and you think I deserve it, go ahead and tap those stars. It is much, much appreciated. So 63 episodes, and I'm not so big of a man that I can't say I made a mistake. I made a mistake. A couple weeks ago, I recorded a podcast. It was actually a really good podcast because we talked about buying a fly rod and kind of some things to think about when it comes to that. And the whole premise of talking about gear, at least that week, was it's wintertime. Not everyone's fishing, and there's only so much you can talk about. And so you could talk about gear, or you could talk about fly tying. And the funny thing is, is I thought after I said that, after I published that, it's like, you know, I could do a couple of fly tying podcasts. I'm still not convinced it's the most riveting of podcast topic just because it's such a visual subject. But that being said, I think we'll have something like that coming soon. The other thing I said that you can talk about in the winter is technique. And I said that it doesn't appeal to everybody, but I got a lot of feedback saying, well, it appeals to me. And enough people said that, that made me think, you know what? I like fly fishing in the winter. I enjoy particularly trout fishing in the winter. I need to talk about this. I need to share just a couple of thoughts. Again, I'm not rewriting the book. I'm not writing the book. I am not necessarily adding anything new. It's just a different perspective. And again, so much is said of every song in fly fishing that can be written has already been written. To a certain degree, I think that's relatively true. You look at some of these fly patterns that are gaining a lot of notoriety, and you say, wow, that's just like this other fly pattern, but it's only a little bit different. 
or gear is just one inch forward from last year's model. That's not specific to fly fishing. You think about the 2020 Toyota whatever, it's only a little bit different than the 2019, which is only a little bit different than the 2018. But if you look in hindsight, 10 years back, and you've got a big jump from 2010 to 2020. And I think the same thing is said when we talk about fly fishing gear, when we talk about fly patterns, and even when we talk about honing the techniques of fly fishing. So I don't get too bent out of shape by repeating information because my voice is a little bit different than somebody else's voice. It might appeal to you, it might not. It might resonate with you. It might be shorter than somebody talking about it in 45 minutes, and it might be longer than someone talking about it for 10 minutes. But I would say, as and I always say this with, with my podcast, I hope when you listen to this, you see it as a launching pad. You see it as a springboard. You realize that I'm really giving primers. Every now and again, maybe I'll touch on something deep or I'll say something quasi-profound, but more often than not, what I intend to do with the podcast is really just give you a taste of something and whether that send you somewhere else on the internet or hopefully in person or send you to castingacross.com to read more of the articles, then that's what I intend to do. So all that to say and essentially to qualify, we're going to talk about fly fishing in the winter, but I really want to focus on one component in particular and kind of use fly fishing in the winter as a vehicle for talking about weight and fly fishing with weight. And so this is absolutely a topic that is applicable year-round, but the winter time is probably the most applicable time. There's other times too, uh, high water events, particular systems that are very deep and very slow, systems that are deep and fast. There's a lot of different applications for utilizing weight, even just the location of one particular fish. And it's not as simple or it's not as cut and dry as just putting a bigger bead head or a bigger cone head or a bigger set of dumbbell eyes on a fly. And you know that. But sometimes we try to fix the problem that way or we pinch a split shot 6 inches, 12 inches, 18 inches above the fly and try to get it down. Again, I wanted to use winter fly fishing as a vehicle for talking about being creative with the way that you utilize weight in your rig, essentially what goes out of the tip of your rod all the way down to your fly so you can get down to those fish. Because in the wintertime, that will be one of the more productive methods to getting your fly in front of fish. Fish that are seeking a little bit of thermal refuge, closer to the bottom, closer to a spring seep, higher percentage game where they're not sipping midges off the surface necessarily um, or chasing things, but they're able to kind of pick things off as it comes. The first thing is obviously the weight of your flies. I am not good at organizing my fly box by weight. I kind of organize my fly box by pattern and by sight so that when I look at my nymphs, I can find something that's in that light hairs here, that dark hairs here, the light pheasant tail, the dark pheasant tail, you know, the brighter colors, the stone flies, and I kind of organize it that way. But I can really see the value in organizing your fly box by weight. Something that I heard on another podcast uh, years ago, and I know that a lot of people do this, is that they will do thread wraps indicating how much weight they put on their fly. So if they use maybe four wraps of lead or non-lead wire, then it'll be blue. If they use eight wraps, it'll be orange. If they use you know four wraps and a tungsten weight, it'll be green or whatnot. And they can organize their nymphs that way. That's very, very helpful if you tie. If you don't tie, 
then that really doesn't do you any good. You can't necessarily call up your custom fly tire and say, hey, I want three of each pattern. This is exactly how I want it to look. Maybe you have a relationship with a custom fly tire like that, but most of us probably do not. So what you can do, though, is put your unweighted flies, your weighted flies with maybe a glass bead or a plastic bead or some sort of collar, and then your metal beads and then your tungsten beads. And tungsten is metal, but you know what I'm saying, your brass bead and then your tungsten bead. And so you have things organized in that way. And what that allows you to do is allows you to very quickly find the fly that you need to get down. If it's 12 inches of water, if it's 18 inches of water, if it's two feet of water, that might be sufficient. But more often than not, you're needing to get deeper than that. So what does that mean? What does that look like? I joked about split shot earlier, but split shot is very effective. I have some non-lead shot and I like it in an easy pinch on, easy pinch off format utilizing those smartly, not just lumping a lot of them six inches in front of your fly so that you effectively have this one sink point. And this is very common sense, but in the moment you think, I just need to get this fly down. I just want to get it in front of the fish. You want a natural presentation. So say you're fishing a nymph. If you were to put some of the BB size split shot, which a BB is not big, but again, you throw a BB in the water, it's going to drop pretty fast. And if you have a small fly that doesn't offer a lot of water resistance, it's going to pull that thing down super fast also. So you make a cast in, in all but the fastest currents, that fly is not going to drift, it's going to sink. So what do you do? You don't pick the BB size or the larger size, you pick some of the smaller weights and you space them out. Two or three split shot spread 6, 12, 18 inches up from that fly. And that presents a more uniform sink rate bringing your fly or your tandem fly rig across the feeding lane in a much flatter plane. Again, very, very common sense, but I feel like at many times in the heat of the moment, I get that conehead woolly bugger and I put a couple of weights on, you know, eight inches above the fly and just try to get it down. And if you're fishing a streamer, sometimes that can be actually very, very productive because if you're retrieving it, especially if you're retrieving it and trying to give a lot of action in it, having that chunked up weight where there's a lot of weight on the fly and then a lot of weight one other place that's going to make that thing dance and it's going to make that thing move but you will have to really pay attention in those scenarios if you do let that fly pause or if you do kind of within one retrieve alter from a retrieve and a dead drift which is a killer retrieve pattern i think especially in the winter time because a fish is going to key in on a dying bait fish because it's an easy meal and so you have this thing that's swimming with an erratic motion and then it stops and flutters well on that flutter you're going to lose some of your contact with that fly because if you have enough weight from split shot or some other sort of weight that is going to be what your primary contact is going to be from the tip of your rod all the way down your line into your leader it's going to be to that weight first and then there's those six or eight inches before that fly and if that fly is fluttering down you're going to have a few seconds of lag time. Not maybe not a few seconds, but in your head it feels like a few seconds. All that to say, that is a very deadly retrieve. It just is one that's going to require a lot of focus. And even a, if, if you are pausing your retrieve to allow for that dead drift, maintaining contact 
with your line hand on your line and bringing it in ever so slightly. It might feel counterintuitive. It might feel like you're actually continuing that retrieve, but what you're doing is you're maintaining that tension, not just between you and your weight, but between the weight and that weighted fly that's behind it, or that unweighted fly, if you want to give it a little extra flutter. It's a really killer retrieve, and I would encourage you to do that the next time you're out, regardless if you want to stream or fish or not, but adding a lot of weight, 8 inches, 10 inches above a streamer, and if you use an unweighted streamer that has like a, a, a paddle style tail that's made from some synthetic material, or even a big rabbit strip, uh, or one of those dragon tails, it is a really, really cool action, and uh, fish find it pretty irresistible. So that was a lot of discussion about one particular retrieve style, but that just goes to show how a simple crimping on of a couple of weights can really give you a great retrieve and one that will work not just in the winter but year-round. That was all in the context of adding weight to your line. Another weight adding tactic and a very easy one at that is polyleaders. And so these are the weighted segments of what looks like fly line for all intents and purposes that have different sink rates. I only have a couple of them and I use them especially if I am fishing a faster, deeper run, maybe after the tail out of a large, deep pool, and I'm wanting to maintain my fly in a feeding lane and keep it on that same plane and not have it rise a whole lot when I strip my line in while I'm still using a floating line. So if I'm using a floating line, chances are it's because I want a lot of versatility throughout the day, and more often than not, I'm fishing dry flies or smaller nymphs, or it's just a line that I really like to cast. But there are circumstances where you do want that whole line, the whole rig, the tip of your line, the next four or five feet of polyleader, and then all the way run out to your fly to stay low and deep and not come up significantly when you mend. When you, Of course, every time you pull on that line to either mend it or to add a little bit of a retrieve, it's going to all cause that line to lift up in the water column. And inevitably, what that does is it moves that fly out of probably where you want it to go. And if you're like me, you fish that beginning part of that retrieve really, really hastily, and then you get it close to you and you fish it really deliberately. Having that poly leader allows you to make that full cast. It The whole fly sinks down, and it's in the first maybe 10-15% of your drift, the fly gets down into position, into where you want it to go. If you know the sink rate of that poly leader, and of course different ones have different sink rates, and all the major line manufacturers utilize them. I think the ones I have uh, kind of in the front of my vest right now are from Orvis, and uh, they... They work incredibly well, and what they do allow you to do is maintain a pretty good contact between tip of your rod and your fly. They don't create an enormous hinge point in your leader like weight does. It is a relatively consistent feel, if that makes sense. A poly leader will be helpful, and it will get your line, leader, and fly down to where you want it. Uh, one quick note on the poly leader, those are loop-to-loop -loop connections. So there's something where if you have a loop-to-loop -loop at the end of your fly line, a welded loop, or what I absolutely prefer is nail knotting on some rigid butt section mono and making my own loop, which is a little bit smoother transition, you're able to quickly switch that in and out if you are using a floating line. Of course, the best thing is using a weighted line, and I don't think that trout fishers 
utilize this enough. If you're fishing on a boat, you can have two rods, two reels, more than that. If you're waiting and you're fishing a larger river or you're fishing in a river that has some very deep holes, you have a couple options. You can either choose to fish one way or another, fish with a weighted sinking line or fish with a floating line. And if you have that floating line, then you have these pretty decent alternatives like I've gone through. I would say a weighted fly is probably not going to cut it. And even adding split shots not going to cut it for the deepest, fastest holes and runs. It's going to not be the best casting line that's out there. If you have a specifically formulated sinking line, probably more sink tip if we're talking trout fishing, a sink tip line, that's going to cast beautifully with only a minor alteration to your casting stroke. And if you get a good quality line from a good quality line manufacturer, they're going to be tapered and weighted such that it is going to feel different than your floating line. If you haven't fished a sink, a sink tip line before, you're going to say this feels incredibly heavy, but they are made so that you're going to be able to cast them. And what they're going to do is they're going to get your entire rig down right where you need it to be. And you're not going to have any hinge points at all. You're going to have great contact with your fly. So if you were to make a kind of a spectrum uh, or, or some sort of chart of, of what we've talked about, it's effectively the easiest thing is just having weighted flies. If you can get away with that, that's fantastic. But once you have to up the intensity of that, then you start to run into pros and cons. Now, I will say a con I didn't mention is that a weighted fly, especially if it's a small fly, might also not be the best casting scenario for you. If you've ever tried to cast a very, very heavy streamer or a very heavy nymph rig, especially if you have an indicator on there, with your four weight, you know that it's very cumbersome. You lose accuracy. You're not really even casting. You're just kind of chucking it out there. And so that's where you see the, the trade-off. You don't have to alter any of your gear. Same rod, same line, same leader, just a really heavy fly. You're going to get your fly down there. You're just going to trade off some of that casting accuracy. You add the weight, it even gets more wild. And Boy, those are some fun tangles, aren't they? When you have a double fly rig with a couple of split shot on there and you're actually casting it, you're not just flipping it out there, you can get some tangles that you just want to start over and snip the end of your fly line off and maybe even call it a day. That's the trade-off with weight. You place them in the right places, whether it be for a nice, subtle presentation, you're not having a lot of splashing because you're using smaller weights spaced out, or because you're adding them purposefully to create some sort of wild jerky retrieve for a streamer, it's going to get your fly where you need it to be. Casting is going to be squirrely, and you're also going to begin to have a hinge point in your line where you're going to be in contact with that weight and not with the fly, which does give a delay in your response time to any take. Then we get to the poly leaders. Poly leaders are great. They're a good intermediate level solution for getting your whole line leader fly down where it needs to be and they're great if you want that flexibility i think we need to use them more why they're not mentioned in the must have in your fly vest uh, sling pack backpack conversation is kind of beyond me even if i don't use them i know that i have them and if i get to a hole or a pool i'd rather put one of those on than come up with some cute heavy fly six pieces of split shot kind of rig 
because we all want to fish those really deep pools because we all know there's a big trout down there and we might not catch it, but we at least want to try to catch it. And then lastly, sink tip lines. That's a big investment for a few reasons. You got to buy another spool for your reel. You got to buy a whole nother line. But if you are routinely encountering situations where you want your fly down deep and you want great control, great castability, all those things, it's worth the investment. If you would buy another fly rod for a slightly different situation that you would face on a stream, then you need to definitely consider buying another spool and another spool of line for a slightly different situation that you can face in a stream. I would say, don't quote me on this. No, go ahead and quote me on this. I don't think anyone's going to quote me. Regardless, that you're probably going to get more use out of a sink tip line than a slightly different fly rod. And a spool for your reel and a line is going to be much less expensive than a whole nother fly rod. The opportunities that will open themselves up to you if you're fishing just a nine foot five weight, but you get a sink tip line are going to be much greater than if you were to get an eight and a half foot four weight or something like that. A little bit of a primer on weight, maybe something new for you, maybe just the same stuff repeated with a little of my, my take on the subject matter. But again, this is stuff that is very pertinent in the wintertime because getting down deep is very helpful. At the same time, this is great year-round depending on the body of water you fish. And these are things that I think that even if you're fishing you know, three weights and you're fishing on really, really light tackle, you can employ these concepts in small ways and really improve your fishing. I mean, if you're fishing a mountain trout stream, you're not going to be using a sink tip line. But the way you apply split shot, it's not as simple as just crimping a couple of split shot six inches above a fly and saying, this is going to be good. Especially if you want delicate presentations. You look at that little tennis split shot and you see those teeny, teeny, tiny ones and think, who's going to use those? You should be using them and you should be spacing them out and they're going to allow your nymphs to get a great drift and what they really do is they allow you to carry much fewer flies. You could probably get away with a bunch of unweighted flies if you could utilize split shot effectively and I say this to myself as well. I could use split shot much more effectively. That's probably more than you'd thought about weight on your fly fishing tackle in a long time. Any tips, any tricks, anything that I said that you find heretical, I'd love to hear that as long as you're relatively kind about it. As always, Matthew at castingcross.com, or you can leave a comment at the bottom of the post uh, associated with this podcast on castingacross.com. This week on the website, two articles. The first is called Nature Isn't That Special. This is me responding to an op-ed in the Orlando Sentinel. I don't live in Florida, but I read it and it was off-putting because of the way that someone is taking their passion for protecting nature and they're doing it in what I feel to be a very irresponsible way. I would say in a reckless and dehumanizing way. I love the environment. I want to see it protected. I know that my job as a human is to be a steward of the environment, but I think it needs to be done the right way. And I don't think we need to be pragmatic and uh, have ends that justify the means uh, when we when we approach a topic like this. I think it's very important and there's big implications. So that article was kind of me responding to that. Wednesday's was called the brown trout with a bright red patch. I saw a very big fish once and I endeavored to catch it and I caught it and I remember a lot about it even though I have no picture. So 
That's what I wrote about in that article. This week's recommendation on the podcast is called the Brewmate Hopsolator Trio. So we all have insulated cups and mugs and coolers and whatnot, and they may very well be from one of the big names, or they may be from something you buy at Walmart or Target, and they all work pretty well. I am not dogmatic about which one to use, and I think they work great, but there's a very particular product made by Brewmate, and again, it's called the Hopsolator Trio, and it's three-in-one because it is a insulated koozie, but it's built to handle a 16-ounce can, which could come in handy. Now, it can also handle 12-ounce cans, and when you utilize it in this fashion, it's really cool because there's a little ice puck. It's kind of like an ice pack, only it's a puck, and it goes in your freezer so that when you drop this thing in the bottom of this koozie, it keeps that 12-ounce can even colder. So you might say, I need more than one 12 or 16-ounce can. Well, then take a cooler with you. But if you're okay with having only one can and you want to throw it in your sling pack or your backpack or whatever, this is a really cool product. 25 bucks, which is totally reasonable given the playing field for products like this. It uh, is ergonomic. It is pretty cool looking. It's got, I think, 5,000 five-star reviews on Google for whatever that's worth. But it's a cool thing. I think I got mine uh, at Cabela's. You can get them probably everywhere. They come in a handful of colors. But I will put a link to their website. Again, it's called Brewmate, B-R-U-M-A-T-E, and the product is the Hopsolator Trio. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast in iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Mm-hmm.